Welcome, friends. It is Michael Hunter. This is the ACC Basketball Report. <clears throat> Another off-topic episode for you guys today. Uh, I really enjoyed the one from last week with Harold Little. It was a little on the long side, but I thought it was absolutely worth it, and we've received very good uh, response to it. So, you know, it has changed my way of thinking with certain issues, um, which I, you know, did a little self-reflecting this week and uh you know i made some changes and you know it's not nothing grandiose just changes in how i i think i'm evaluating situations and, and coming to conclusions and the way i think about things i think it's very important that you just don't go right into the defensive and uh, and i'm going to try to do that from now on um and i think you know hopefully that'll impact me personally as far as my nature and my attitude in a positive way moving forward so um today we have uh brian ralph uh who's appeared on the show many times um had a fantastic podcast with connor hope uh the Boston brackets podcast they have since moved to Heat Check, um, which is run by Eli Becker. Uh, Lucas Hawkins also joined them, uh, and Blake Lavelle has joined them as well. So, you know, Eli's doing some some big things at Heat Check. Um, of course, The Sim is, is, is currently going on as well, uh, which is providing us nerds with, uh, with something to occupy our time. Uh, my other guest today is Jacob Salcedo, who is a, a first-time... Um, uh, first time appearance on this show. Jacob is a guy that I've gotten to know. Uh, I'm not going to say really well, but we've had some some good com- conversations and and things like that. You know, through some DMs and, and things. He's just he's one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Um, he's incredibly upbeat. He's incredibly positive. Um, and he, you know, I followed him before. You know, he worked at Boston. He works at Boston Brackets. Um, you know, he's a West Coast guy. He's a New Mexico fan. A diehard New Mexico fan. Um, I was once a New Mexico fan, um, back in the day and, uh, you know, Jacob did something about a year ago that, that really impressed me, um, put me or put him on my radar, um, as somebody that I wanted to get to know and, and, and start a dialogue with, because when people do extraordinary things, um, you know, you need to, to take notice and Jacob is a guy that I've, like I said, you know, over the past year, I've gotten to know pretty well. He's just, he's incredibly upbeat, he's incredibly positive, and he's just, he's one of those good people that you want to have around you. You want to have him in your circle. So um, we'll get into the what uh, in the episode. Uh, I'll let him make, you know, that announcement for you guys. But, uh, I, you know, again, this is an off-topic episode. We are going to talk about some Oklahoma State stuff um, with what happened this week. Uh, this is a lot of Mountain West, uh, West Coast stuff, the whack stuff like that. So uh, basketball first, and then we'll dive into this, <laughs> the current situation and the current temperature of the United States and what's going around and what's going on with Jacob since he made his big announcement last year. I hope you guys enjoy. This is ACC Basketball Report. Farrell turns the key, drives the lane with three on the shot clock. Doesn't get it. Five seconds to play. Welcome to the ACC Basketball Report, another ACC BR off-topic um, episode today. I have Jacob Salcedo, uh, known as the Lobo Man, the Lobo Fan, uh, writer for Bustin' Brackets, and Brian Roth of uh, Heat Check now, um, formerly of Bustin' Brackets. And uh, guys, thanks for coming on. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks, man. So I'm, I'm excited to, to be on here with you guys. 
<laughs> yeah, it should be a great show. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, so what we've done is, or what I've tried to do kind of since there's really not a lot to talk about um, lately. Actually, we, we do have some things to talk about as far as on the court stuff. But I've tried to, you know, starting with the Harold Little episode last week, try to get after some some social issues and things that you wouldn't typically hear on a podcast like this. And I, th- I think it's gone pretty well. Um, we are going to stay on the court for probably the first half of the show, and then we'll dive into some more uh, some more social issues that that should be receiving more attention than maybe they there they are currently. Um, Jay, you're a uh, a self-proclaimed fanatic as far as uh, you know the old whack in the Mountain West and especially New Mexico. When yeah. <laughs> when um, I was younger, for whatever reason, it seemed like New Mexico was always on, like ESPN two. Um, Kenny Thomas, Damian Walker, Lamont Long, uh, Kevin Henry, I think, was there for a while, and then he transferred to Baylor, I believe. Um, the pit was legendary um, when I became a fan, and and still is, as, as far as a difficult place to play. What what got you started down that path, as far as as the whack in the Mountain West? Um, well, for me personally, I grew up in Albuquerque. Um, so yeah, so growing up there, you know, there's a lot of places that you kind of, you hear people say at different colleges, um, like this is a really big college town or this is a college city or Mm -hmm. we're really crazy about our school there. Um, I would say Albuquerque is, they take really, really great pride in Lobo basketball. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, for as long as I remember, that's always been something that everyone is aware of, you know, you kind of just end up at games. Um, so it was, it was kind of just something I, I grew up into. Um, when I started getting in, into sports really heavy, aside from, you know, like pro football and stuff like that, I was like, Hey, you know, like I can, I can go to these games. I can make it like an event. I could take my family. I could take my friends and whatnot, get them into it. And you kind of just, you fall in love with the sport. You fall in love with the team. You fall in love with the program. Um, and once I started following the Lobos really heavy, I just kind of became a fan of the whole conference as far as the Mountain West. And now it's been a few years and I, I still just nerd out over everything Mountain West. I, I'm always, you know, during the off season, I'm always trying to get as much info as I can, reading up on articles and stuff like that. Um, I don't know. It's just it's something that I really enjoy. It's something I like to do. It's something I like to talk. And I've learned that there's a lot of fans out there, and I love that this is something we can all connect over. Sure. Well, the, the landscape, really, of, of West Coast basketball has changed somewhat significantly, I would say, probably over the past decade or two. Um, with a lot of realignment driven by football, and then um, a lot of teams moving from the WAC over to the Mountain West. Um, how have all of those changes sort of impacted your fanhood specifically, and also just the way um, maybe some rivalries and relationships are between schools out there? All right. Um, so by the time I became a, a fan, um, the Mountain West was already pretty established. And so, you know, they've, they've still had some recent realignment. Like, I think it was, I don't even know how long it's been now, maybe like eight years since Boise came in and schools like TCU, Utah, and them left. Um, as far as the rivalries go, that's still something that they're pretty, I think the schools are pretty aware of. Um, like for me personally, I, uh, I despise BYU. <laughs> I probably, I probably shouldn't admit that on here. Um, 
you know, I still try and get along with everyone, but it's like, yeah, you know, you, you keep these, these older rivalries kind of in mind. And I think they're still very much a thing, even if they're not playing in the same conference. Um, like I think this last season, San Diego state played, uh, Utah and you know, you just, you have matchups like that that happen and it's like, well, Hey, these schools used to be rivals. Um, it's fun to see. And I think it's definitely still, still a rivalry. What's, uh, what drives the, uh, the BYU dis dislike? Sorry. I said, well, what drives the, uh, the hatred for BYU? Um, <laughs> well, okay. So as a Lobo fan for, for basketball primarily, and then as someone who follows a lot of, um, Boise state football, <laughs> I, I don't know if you guys knew that, um, no, but kind of, it, it's kind of like, um, I don't know. I mean, between Boise State and BYU, you have the whole regional rivalry. Mm -hmm. And then um, I think it was the last two years that BYU was in the Mountain West. Um, they started developing a kind of basketball rivalry with the Lobos, um, especially because they had had so many strong seasons. And it's like, you know, once the Lobos started coming back on the scene and they started winning some of those matchups, um, I don't think people on the BYU side of that really enjoyed that too much. Um, you know, the situation out there is, is fairly interesting to me because, you know, you got Weir and Jans, Marvin Menzies, uh, UNLV, yeah. you know, they've all, it's all, they've all been, you know, those three schools. And then you got the Chris Beard drama from years ago, going to UNLV and backing out whatever it was 10 days later. What, what is it, what is the, the rivalries like between, you know, UNLV, New Mexico state and New Mexico out there? Is it because, you know. As far away as I am, I would imagine that I know that New Mexico and New Mexico State is, is a pretty intense rivalry. Yes, but um, yeah. you know, describe the rivalry and that and that those that trio of coaches that have been kind of at all those schools. Um, well, first, like you said, uh, UNM and NMSU is a really really big thing in the state because um, obviously those are the two big schools that we have here in New Mexico. Um, I know a lot of Aggies fans who are still really upset that Weir is coaching at New Mexico now. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you'll see some on Twitter from time to time. They'll just be in random comments like, oh, well, you know, he's going he's gonna to up and leave your program just like he left us and this and that. And <laughs> there's, there's definitely a lot of tension um, between those two fan bases. I, um, so one of my really good friends, he was fairly new to the college basketball scene. So I, I took him to some Lobo games and I think the first actual game I took him to was against state. And, uh, by the time we left the pit, he was like, yeah, I hate them. I, I just can't stand them. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, I mean, it's just people constantly just going back and forth, talking and talking. Um, as far as, you know, UNLV, um, you mentioned Chris Beard over at uh, Texas Tech. Um, I, it's it's a really interesting thing. Uh, for one, I mean, Texas Tech is really close in proximity, or relatively, to, you know, some Mountain West schools. Um, like, we, we used to have a regional rivalry with them. Um, I know some UNLV fans still feel a way towards Chris Beard. Um, I think that kind of came up even 
last off season. Um, and I, I can't remember exactly what the situation was, but some people were, were still pretty salty. If that's a, that's a fair <laughs> phrase to use here. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and New Mexico and UNLV, um, I, I think that kind of, for me, the mountain West, um, just a few years ago really was about, you know, like the big three. And I think that was New Mexico, San Diego state and UNLV. So those three programs, I think when they, when they play each other, um, they already have a bit more riding on the game than say just a, a usual mountain West conference game matchup. Do, do you go ahead, Brian. I was going to say, how do you feel about the state of the New Mexico program currently? Because past couple years, especially, talent hasn't necessarily yes. been the issue, but sort of getting the results has been. So, um, sort of how are, how do you look at that? I am trying to be super optimistic. Um, I've met Paul Weir. I I like Paul Weir. Um, I love the program and every year, you know, like regardless of what the roster looks like, I'm like, all right, let's see what we can do. Like, let's see if we can have a solid season. Let's see if we can compete in the mountain West. Um, so I try to be an optimist all the time. Um, it was really disappointing this last season with all the talent that they had. Um, I mean, just the way that the school handled the situations with, with Bragg and, and JJ Caldwell, I think they kind of approached that in, they, they could have approached it in a better way in, in my personal opinion. Um, but at the same time, you know, there's so much that happens behind the scenes that as a fan, you don't really know about, or you don't have access to that. It's hard to really say, well, yeah, they should have done this better. Um, you know, so, I mean, coming off of this last season, it, it was disappointing, but at the same time, it was, um, humbling because again, it's like, okay, yeah, we can't just go from this point right back to the top. Like we're still trying to work our way up there. We can't just add a bunch of players of this caliber and then just try and force them all to, to gel together. It's not how it works. Um, I'm still not sure where it went wrong. You know, like some people say it was coaching. Some people say it was egos or discipline or whatever it was. Um, for whatever reason, it just didn't work. Uh, I do feel like now, the way the roster is, you have a lot of guys on the team who are a lot more level-headed. They don't necessarily have as big an ego. And I feel like because of that, they can play better as a team. And I think that because, you know, if they have good chemistry, then you'll obviously see improvement on the court and you'll see more more games being won. Was it was it really surprising? I guess I'll go to Brian for this one. Was it actually surprising to you, Brian? I know you know you're not a fan. Jacob is, so you know maybe he's a little bit more optimistic than than you know some random outsider. But with strong personalities like Jaquan Lyle and Carlton Bragg and JJ Caldwell, you know guys that have been difficult to deal with in the past at previous at previous stops during their career was it really surprising to you to see new mexico kind of go off the rails like they did this year not necessarily i had little jay had high hopes for what new mexico could do because of the the combination of talent if it was all able to come together had some really exciting potential um at the same time if it was going to go down 
it probably would have gone down the way it did because of those personalities you mentioned and guys who had problems at pass stop, at, at a pass stop or pass stops <laughs> uh, in Carlton Bragg's case especially. Um, and either they were going to figure it out and do really well, or all those problems were going to sort of rear their ugly heads again, so to speak. Um, and, and that happened. So I'm not totally surprised, but I am a little bit disappointed, kind of like Jay said, that we didn't get to see all of that potential really sort of play itself out. I agree. I, I, I thought that, uh, Jay, was it um... – was that in the back of your head, or was the the level of talent that you guys and we haven't even talked about Vance Jackson being on that team, who's also a very good player? Yeah, um, yeah. You know, was that in the back of your mind, or were you guys just so uh, you know optimistic because there was so much talent on that roster that that you were thinking, uh, you know? On on one end, it's like your optimism is kind of like blinding to an extent <laughs> because you're like, oh my gosh, we have all these talented guys coming in. Like, there's so much we can do that you don't even really think about what could go wrong. But at the same time, like you guys both mentioned, you know, some of these guys had some baggage that they were kind of bringing with them. Um, and I think the way that myself and a lot of others were looking at it was like, okay, well, you know, hopefully at this point with where they're at in their basketball career and, you know, maturity or whatever it is, that things will work out just because we want it to. Mm-hmm. Um but at the same time, being realistic, it's like, well, yeah, you have these guys who, for whatever reasons, they left their, la- their last schools, and at the same time, who are so talented that it's like, you know, they want to be the man wherever they are, and then you put them all together, it's like, okay, um, then you have a young coach like Weir, who, who hasn't been the head coach for that long, and it's like, let's see how this plays out. Let's be a little bit cautious how does the fan base feel about Weir as a whole? Like, is, is he still somewhat of a long leash? Is patience starting to, to wear thin a little bit? How is that sort of looked at from the, the fan base as a general whole? I would probably say, uh, I want to say that the majority of Lobo fans are still behind Weir, especially now. Um, you know, Lobo fans are super, super passionate, and that can be a good thing and a bad thing at times. Um, you know, there's so much, again, there's so much pride in the program that I think even a few months ago I had, I was having a discussion with someone on Twitter and I was like, some Lobo fans act like we're Gonzaga and we're not, (laughs) you know? Um, and so it's like, if anything goes wrong, like immediately some fans are just calling for heads or calling for jobs or whatever. And they're just expressing all this dismay in the program. Um, I do want to say that a lot are still unified behind like, okay, well they want to see Weir succeed. You know, like I want to see him succeed. Like he had that first season as head coach over here and took us to the mountain West tournament championship. And that was, that was, really unexpected you know we weren't really predicted to make any kind of noise that season um so i think his situation is kind of unique in that we haven't had too much to go off of to really say well you know like this is it for him um but at the same time like global fans are so annoyed by mediocrity that it puts so much pressure 
on coaches and on, you know, people at the university and stuff like that. Um, so are those who are, you know, they're, they're unimpressed and they're like, okay, well, you know, they've kind of given up, but I would like to say that most local fans are, are still pretty optimistic and unified. Um, moving out of the mountain West, but staying in the region, um, Oklahoma state this week gets the hammer, uh, postseason ban, $10,000 fine. Uh, I think three scholarships over the course of two years, I believe is, is what that was. Um, <clears throat> I, I personally, you know, I, I don't know how I, I really feel about that. I think that it's 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 a little bit amusing to me that Georgia Tech got hammered worse by uh, having a kid go to a strip club, and an Oklahoma State um, <laughs> assistant coach actually did enough to be arrested by the FBI. So that's that was interesting. Um, what? Uh, how? I guess I'll go. We'll go to Brian first. How, how do you? How nervous? Do you, well, actually. Was the punishment fair for Oklahoma State in this instance? I think the well, I, I think there are two ways of looking at it. One, the FBI is involved, significant NCAA infections. Yes, the punishment fits the crime. At the same time, the acts of the crime didn't necessarily really affect the program. Mm-hmm. It was about him sort of funneling prospects to third parties outside of the program once they got to the NBA so or, or the professional ranks, whatever, wherever that might be. So, you know, you can debate back and forth how much of an actual impact that had in terms of giving Oklahoma State an advantage, and that's certainly what Oklahoma State is arguing in terms of why they should get uh, some of their penalties reduced, particularly that postseason ban. And I can certainly see that argument. I think I fall more in that camp than anything else. Uh, and I'm Excuse me. I, I'm always uh, of the opinion that postseason ban should be set for future years, yes. so you don't punch uh, players who are sort of blindly going into a situation, and then uh, this comes down after they're sort of locked in, so to speak. Um, I, I'm a fan of sort of, you know, if there's postseason ban for 2022, everybody has an off season to sort of get set, and then they know going into that that season that they know there's no postseason for them. They're sort of going in eyes wide open. So those are things that I think I disagree with, but you know, the NCAA is certainly also wanting to make a a firm statement with this. So the fact that there were somewhat severe penalties doesn't surprise me. Jay, what do you think about the punishment and what do you think is going to happen with Cade Cunningham? I mean, I'm glad that the NCAA is finally moving on some things. Um, (laughs) I mean, even just over the last few years, they've kind of drag their feet when it comes to actually dealing out any kind of punishment to bigger programs, especially. Um, so I'm not entirely sure if it's, I guess, you know, the, the right way to approach it, but I'm glad that they didn't just let it go and do nothing. Um, as far as Kate Cunningham, I, I'm really not sure. I mean, there's, there's a lot of speculation out there that people are like, well, okay, is he going to transfer? Is he, you know, just not going to go to school or whatever? Um, I don't know. I mean, you would have to look at his, like, personal situation aside from whatever might be happening with Oklahoma State, but just, like, his relationship with the coaches and why he picked the program and where he's at in his decision-making and whatnot. I, I'm not sure exactly what he'll do. <laughs> I think it's important, too, to note that Oklahoma State is appealing 
and our mm-hmm. attorney that postseason ban overturned. Uh, but Michael, I'm interested. My big takeaway from this was that Oklahoma State was not a big player in sort of the FBI quote. Those were schools like Kansas, Louisville, LSU, Arizona. So if Oklahoma State gets hit like this by the NCAA, how should those schools be feeling? <laughs> uh, you know, Louisville, I'm of the opinion that Louisville should be heavily fined. And, <laughs> and, and we move along. Um I, you know, Patino's gone. Uh, the AD is gone. I, I forget his name off the top of my head. Um, you know, all the players are gone now, I believe, now that war is going pro. Um, there's there's no remnants of that era left with Louisville. And, you know, by all accounts and, uh, you know, face value, Chris Mack is running a clean program. Chris Mack has never been under any kind of investigation that I know of or ever been, you know, under suspicion of doing anything incorrectly. I think... The school as a whole did the right thing. They cleaned house. Everybody's gone. The players are all gone. If you're going to do something heavy-handed, you need to punish those that were involved, not kids that were 14, 15 years old when all this stuff went down. So Louisville, you know, a fine as far as, you know, a percentage of their budget or or whatever. Um, As far as Kansas, LSU, and Arizona, I mean, Kansas, you got to think, is going to get the hammer. I, I I can't think of it any other way, and I st- I have no idea how Will Wade and Sean Miller still have jobs. It is it, it's un- it's unfathomable to me. I I can't understand what the reason. I mean, I, that's a that's a PR battle that those two schools just flushed. I I, I don't understand it. Jay, what do you think as far as uh, as far as some of these other schools? Well, I I'm gonna kind of I guess counter propose the question really quick um do you think you know like you mentioned will wade and sean miller do you think if like these same situations were happening with much smaller schools that those coaches would still be in the position that they're in absolutely no yeah yeah um i it almost feels like at this point um Again, like the NCAA, so it's it's so hard to predict what they're going to do because at times it seems like there's no real reasoning to any decision that they make. <laughs> you know, like even with just uh, waivers that are going on, sometimes mm-hmm. they make these decisions seemingly so so randomly. Um, so I would, after you know, the season even starts. <laughs> yeah, you know, two or three so games into I, the season. <clears throat> yeah. It, it's like, I don't know, we, we'd we like to see some kind of punishment dealt to these schools. Um, for me personally, like, I'm not really counting on the NCAA really, really doing anything major, though, at this point. Um, I feel like even if they did, it's like, okay, well, when the situation was fresh, like when all this information was being put out there to the public, um that's when they should have acted. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, even if whatever they do now, it's kind of like, okay, well, you still dragged your feet on this. Like, what what statement are you really trying to make? Still kind of letting schools get away with things like this. Who, who uh, and I'll let both you guys answer this, who should be, of those three, those last three, Kansas, LSU, and Arizona, who do you think should be the most nervous? Arizona, I think. <laughs> Uh, I I would say Kansas, but I think Kansas probably is um, maybe I, you know 
one of the signature programs of the sport. So uh, Arizona is, is to a certain extent, but not to not to the level that Kansas is. So I think they're sort of in that sweet spot. Plus the fact that they sort of backed Sean Miller through all this, and there has been multiple incidents of things with that Arizona program under Miller. Um, I'll be surprised if they're not hit the worst. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree there. Um, do you guys remember off the top of your head, like what uh, specifically Arizona, what they even gave as um, as like their reasoning for not firing him? I think was it that they just like ran their own investigation, looking into things, I, and they said like we we determined that you know he's not. I think like, that he's not at fault with anything. I, I think that they they said they couldn't fire him with cause. Is that correct, or am I just misremembering that? Basically, like everything was sort of, if I remember correctly, everything was sort of um, speculation and cut up until the stuff had started. Chad Miller's tenure in Arizona was going really, really well, mm-hmm. and so I think it was more so of a until you bring us something concrete, we're going to stick with this guy who's winning us games. Um, and sort of let somebody else make the decisions. Yeah. Is it becoming easier for them to get rid of him considering how they've performed the last couple of years, you guys think? Maybe. Maybe. I mean, it definitely doesn't help that the Pac-12 overall has been kind of... Um, but, I mean, when you're bringing in recruits, I mean, that's the really big pro for Sean Miller is I think the way he recruits, you know, there aren't many coaches in college basketball who can recruit like he can. But at the same time, when you're bringing in that talent, you kind of expect results, especially in the postseason. And I think it was uh, two years ago. I can't remember if it was two or three years ago that they, you know, they had all this talent on their on the roster and they were they were bounced in the in the first round of the NCAA tournament. By Buffalo. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, when you when you have DeAndre Ayton on your team, you got to win. You you got to win a game in the tournament. Simply put, simply put. <laughs> <laughs> so Jay, prior to prior to last season, um, you made a huge personal announcement uh, via Twitter um, that may or may not have been shocking to some. What was that announcement, and why was it the right time to do so? Um, well, the announcement was that I am gay. Um, as far as, you know, um, I guess the timing of it, um, that I don't really know if there was a specific thought process to that. Um, I will be completely honest in that up until about 11 months ago, mm-hmm. this wasn't even something that I had acknowledged. Um, you know, like obviously there were signs my whole life, um, that I can look back on now that it's like, okay, like I, I, this, this makes sense now looking back on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but at that point in time, it, it just became this thing that was like, I just can't, like, I have to deal with this. I can't just put this on the back burner anymore. Like I have to acknowledge it. And so I did. And, and once I did, I'm like, okay, well, I'm not a dishonest person carrying some kind of secret um and you know something like that just the gravity of it i was like i i have to share this um and before i was you know i've met so many incredible people on twitter 
and I feel like I have just this huge network now of people, a lot of them, you know, that I haven't met mm -hmm. that are still extremely supportive and incredible that I was like, okay, you know, if I want to also run this by my family and by the friends that I have, you know, out there in, in real life, quote unquote, um, I was like, you know, what, what are even just these people, my friends on Twitter, like, what is this network going to think? Um, and I really wasn't even sure how to go about it. I think I messaged, uh, Tristan <laughs> first and I was like, Hey, you know, because at the time I, I wasn't putting out much content with uh, busting brackets. And I was like, Hey, I just want to clear something up. Um, and then I, I came out to him. His response was good. Just like, all right, screw it. Let's just put this out <laughs> there. Let's just see what happens. And I just kind of went for it, tried to, phrase it the best way that I possibly could and the most honest way that I possibly could. And, and it happened. <laughs> it sounds like, so with everything being really positive from it, um, yes. did, did that surprise you at all? Especially given the nature of the nature of Twitter? Yes. Um, I was just, I mean, at, I believe it was just overwhelmed by the positivity um like i remember even even michael sent me a message like that that day or the next day or something like that um i just didn't expect so many people to for one care at all you know take interest in it um because it's like okay well you have this following on twitter right you're using it for college basketball um, there's there's some people out there who are like hey don't you know don't tweet anything unless it's unless it's the stuff that you said you were going to stick to or whatever. I was just amazed that so many people kind of cared. And, um, again, yeah, that, that positive support, I, I didn't expect it. Um, and that's not to say that I expected the worst or assumed anything really negative. Um, I did expect to lose some followers. You know, there's people out there who they feel strongly about it and they feel a certain way and, you know, it is what it is for them. I can't, I can't change that. And I was just hoping that, you know, again, just coming out like that, that it's like, okay, well, this is me. Like, I'm just being honest. I'm, I'm not trying to offend you. Uh, this, this is what it is. You know, like, this is me. Um, there's no real other way to put it. He was was really overwhelming. I uh, I probably cried after after I got some of some of the responses and the messages that I did, and that's something I'm really grateful for. How uh, how was how was there? I mean, Twitter's its own animal, like Brian said. But um, you know, as far as people that you actually know, you know, that you you spend time with your family, you know, your close circle of friends. What was what was the reaction there? Was was there did some of them it, it has have... been it's been mostly positive yep. um being able all those responses that i got on twitter uh those definitely gave me the courage mm -hmm. to be able to come out publicly on my other social medias or you know in with, with the other people in my life um and i think i did that like a, a week later i was like you know like i'm just going to ride this momentum. I'm not going to second guess it. Let's just see what happens. Um, 
and it has been really, really, really good. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm super grateful for that because it's not like that for everyone. You know, there's so many stories of, of people who come out, um, and they're met with rejection, uh, you know, like they get kicked out, what, whatever it is, it's, and it's heartbreaking. Um, I do have some people in my life who are still having a hard time accepting it or some who just flat out were like, you know, I don't agree with this. Um, but I still love you. I still like, I want to be here for you. I still want to be a part of your life. Um, and I'm, I'm really grateful that they can be honest and, you know, still express their love. Uh, that means a lot. So I think I'm in a pretty, pretty good, um, situation with this. And I'm again, just really grateful for that. Well, what, what advice would you have uh, for other people who maybe haven't come out yet, uh, who are, are scared to, or, um, are just sort of afraid of, of anything that may come their way after in maybe a work environment or with people they interact with on a day-to-day basis. What advice can you give people like that? Right. And, um, but you know, it's, it's hard to gauge because every person's situation is different. What I do know is, or what I do believe anyway, is that universally with, you know, this feeling of wanting to come out and not knowing if you can or how you can, it is extremely painful. You know, like it's, it's really, really hard to do. Um, you know, like even, uh, I, so when I first came out to a gay friend of mine, I was uh, still pretty nervous and the way that he put it, because at that point I was like, I don't, I don't know. Like if I am, I don't know what I'm feeling. I don't know if I'm just confused. Like, I don't, I don't know what to do with this. And he was like, honestly, like, you don't have to call it anything. You don't have to put any kind of label on it. Like, that's what other people do. You don't have to do that. You do what you feel you have to do, what you want to do, and what makes you happy. And you don't have to explain who you are to any other person as long as it makes you happy. Um, and I agree with that. You know, it's like, okay, you feel a certain way. And you feel that way. You don't have to necessarily put a kind of label on that I'm I'm not gay. Like, I'm 100% sure (laughs) at this point that I am. Um, But, you know, it's like for for some people out there, it's like they don't have to feel that pressure to necessarily make a decision or to have it all figured out. Um, Especially because it's something that it's like, well, you want to be able to just feel all the feelings and think all the thoughts and you want to be able to process it as clearly as you can for you personally. Um, and you know, it, again, every situation is different. Like there's people out there who may want to come out to their family or to their coworkers or their friends. And if they're not in the best situation for that, like say you have someone who's in, um, who has an abusive family already, it's like you're not going to want to, or as much as you might want to come out, it's like that's not a good situation to be in, you know. Um, but at the same time, I I would hope that, you know, dealing with this, whoever it is, that, I, I don't know, my only advice is that you can only be yourself. You can 
only do what makes you happy, um, to pursue that, to cling to that and to not, you know, not put so much pressure on yourself to go about it a certain way just because others say that you might have to, or just because others did, um, it, it, you really kind of just approach it how you feel you can. And it varies. It varies from person to person. You know, um, my, my boyfriend, um, he is more than twice my age and he is still not publicly out with everyone. Um, and that's, you know, that's, that's his decision. Like you can't make this decision for anyone else. Um, they kind of just have to, you have to go about it at the pace that you can and you do what you feel is comfortable. Um, and that's really all there is to it. But overall, I would just say, you know, be yourself and whoever isn't accepting when that time comes. Um, and this is something that, you know, was reiterated when I came out on Twitter, when I came out with friends and family, whoever really has that much of an issue with it in your life probably doesn't belong in your life anyway mm -hmm. because I feel like if someone truly values you as a person values who you are um, values your happiness and truly cares for you and loves you um, that you know they it, I don't know that they won't just walk out on you um, it, and it is hard uh, and it's hard to say what that looks like for for everyone. Um, but I, I do firmly believe that. And, and when you do come out, it's like, again, you know, the support that you do get, it makes you that much more grateful for those people who are supportive. Because um, it's like, wow, okay, like this person sees me and they, they care for me. Like I can, I can actually be me. And it's extremely liberating. Um, you, you said that you just, you just come out 11 months ago, I believe is what you said. Um, yes. how, uh, I, I'm not sure I know how to word it. Um, I, I don't know how old you are first and foremost, I guess. How what's your age? I'm 23. Okay. So for 22 years, was there, were you unsure of certain things? Did you try to, did you, were you in denial at any point or did you just say, now this all makes sense. I I think um, again, like there were signs my whole life, and that's the that's the simplest way to put it. Um, but I have known now, at least you know subconsciously, for probably the last three or four years. Okay, and I just didn't want to think about it, didn't want to admit it, and so I didn't. I put it in the back of my head and just let it be there and was like, okay, you know, I'm just not, I'm not even going to acknowledge that, not going to admit it. And it is what it is. And, uh, it just, it gets to a point where it's like, okay, I, I can't ignore this anymore. And I, I think I finally got to that point and that's, that's what, what, what the difference was for me. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing some crazy things uh, all over the country right now. Um, with, with the protests and, you know, the state of our society following the pandemic and things like that. Uh, you know, right now there's huge protests going on. I think D.C. had a gigantic protest yesterday. This all following the murder of George Floyd by a police officer. 
Do you see any similarities in how the black community is policed and how the homosexual community is policed? I, well, first of all, I mean, everything that I see going on is extremely heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, just the fact that things like this keep happening and it's sad to say, but it's like, you know, these things pop up in the news. And at this point where we are as a society, it's almost like they become common sometimes. Like people just kind of turn turn the other way and they're just like, oh, yeah, that happened again. And it's, it's insane to think that we can even think like that. Um, as far as similarities, I mean, there, there's always going to be, and I guess that's sad to say, um, some kind of discrimination, you know, I think it's really just a problem of the heart when it comes to people. You know, I don't, I don't fully understand how someone can look at any other person and because of whatever difference, treat them differently and feel so strongly about it that they have to hate them or, you know, whatever it is, however it is that they're treating them. I, I just don't get that. I don't understand that. You know, it's like we're, we're all people. I, I don't know. Um, but it is really sad. I, go ahead. I think it's sad too. One thing that I've seen at least is that, there, you know, there have been countless people who tried to raise this issue in the past, and it hasn't gotten anywhere in terms of yeah. police brutality and things like that. And so, um, you know, I'm I'm happy things are that this protest and movement is, is happening the way that it is um, now. Obviously, I don't know if there's like a, a good time for that, so to speak, um, but I, I do think the part of it that's interesting from from my perspective at least is what like why right now is is so different from you know when when Kaepernick first started taking a knee or um, things of that nature why that's just something that I've, I've thought about is why now as opposed to a couple of years ago or something like that I you know I said it yesterday on Twitter I had you know, the conversation I had with Harold last week really uh, struck a chord with me, I guess. And I started to reevaluate some things as far as how I react to certain things. And, you know, it's always been you go into into defense first. You know, you go right, you take a defensive position and you, you, you try to defend your own beliefs, your own thoughts and things like that. And <clears throat> the more I thought about it yesterday or this past week was... I don't know why I had such a problem with Kaepernick kneeling. Like, it's such a silly thing to get bent out of shape about now that, you know, you look back on something like that. It affected me zero. It affected the game of football that I was watching effectively zero. And it's difficult to defend the whole, you know, it's disrespecting the flag argument when you have soldiers and politicians and, and everybody else just saying, no, that's, that's, that's what America's all about. That's, that's the way it should be. And I, I, I was wrong, you know, and it's, I think the beautiful thing that we're seeing right now is what do you see at these protests? You see black and white people marching together for a common cause and it's bringing people together. Unfortunately, it's at the expense of the integrity of the police force 
But if you're going to take a positive away from it, I think that's that's the positive. Yeah. Um, was were were either one of you, uh, you know, against the Kaepernick kneeling thing? Because basically, what it was for me was I just want sports in my sports. I don't need political statements. I don't need you know all the nonsense. For me personally, I, I had no problem with it, and even before that. Um, there were you know, NBA players, WNBA players, earlier on in the decade wearing the, the I Can't Breathe t-shirts during warm-ups and things like that. And I thought maybe, you know, some of this would happen then. And maybe it's sort of we've needed a build-up to now. Um, but I, I have sort of, I don't want to say I've supported it because I don't know how much in this direction I, I, I've done or, or haven't done. Um, but it's something that, you know, I feel like has been a, an issue in the public consciousness for at least the past decade now. Um, and so I'm, you know, I'm certainly happy that, to see that there are, are changes happening. Um, I just, you know, I think maybe it's just been a, a build up to now. Um, but it's just been something that I, I think has been tried to be put in the public eye for a decade or so at, at the very least. And maybe we're just now seeing it. I, I like how, you, you know, like you asked the question, what what was it this time that led to, you know, such a dramatic shift in right. how it's being approached? Um, and I think that's a really good question because it's true. It's like, well, huh, I wonder, I wonder what caused that. Maybe it's that we're all, you know, stuck in quarantine <laughs> or whatever. But either way, I think, like you said, it's built up so much that it's like, okay, with the black community, like this, this happened. And I think this is just the point you reach where it's like enough has to be enough. And, you know, if, if people aren't listening, you know, like you said, the whole, the whole thing with Kaepernick, it's like, then of course they're going to be outraged. It's like, okay, well then what can we do to where people are actually listening and I think really it's just a breaking point. I think it's a generational thing as well. This younger generation um, seems to be more accepting um, of, of all people. I think, you know, if the, the people that you see that are against the kneeling and against the, the you know, the, the protesting, um, the people that probably have a, 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 an issue with, with Jacob's, uh, you know, personal life you know all those people are probably what around the age of 40 and older like that older generation stuff it's things that are instilled in you i think at a young age that you carry with you throughout your life and i think this younger generation is is more accepting of, of people of all walks of life and i think that's why you're seeing yeah, the communities come together like even just um over the last decade society's changed a lot and it it's interesting because now, you know, those same people who have an issue with these different things, a lot of times when they speak out, you know, before, um, the people who were supportive of, you know, we'll say like gay community or whatever it was, um, were probably in the minority. Whereas now, even if that might still be the case, I feel like their voice is a lot louder and a lot stronger than it used to be. And so people who have an issue with, you know, everything that's going on 
right now as far as the protests or you know, whatever whatever it is it's almost like they have a smaller voice now like you said people are more accepting now it seems to be and it seems to be like as the collective society is trying more and when someone kind of goes against that it's like well hey like why why are you looking at it like that and they get called out on it mm-hmm. Anything to add, Brian? I I agree. I I echo those sentiments. Um, you know, I, there is certainly an aspect of more younger people being involved in this. There may also be the aspect of, um, as Jay said, because we're all in quarantine, there's not a ton to cover or to, um, I hate to say, push this out of the news stream, but we've seen that happen in the past. And I think also, because some of that stuff has happened, We've, there's the added push to do things to keep it in the newsroom and keep it at the forefront of everybody's minds. And with how widespread the protests are, uh, I, I think it's gotten to the point where it's simply impossible to ignore. And now the hard part comes, right, going from protesting to enacting actual change and sort of how that happens. And there are people much smarter than me that can that are, are going to have I'm going to have to figure out a way to do that. Um, and I, I think that's, that's the next step now, but it is good to see it again. It would have been, it would have been great if this would have happened a while ago. Um, but it is good to certainly see it happening now. And, you know, hopefully the, the next decade can be better in this aspect than the past decade was. Yeah. Guys, I, I thank you. I mean, that was one of the fastest 50 minutes of my life. Um, you know, we, <laughs> we, you know, we could have gone on for, for a little bit longer, but, uh, you know, I know it's Sunday, you guys have families and, and things to get to. So I appreciate you both coming, uh, both, you know, providing us with a, with a great show, Jacob, I'll tell you, you know, today, just what I told you 10 months ago, I think what you did was incredibly brave, especially when, you know, Twitter is the way that it is. That's, that's not something that, that a lot of people have have the ability to do. So congratulations on that, and congratulations on your relationship, and and I hope everything's going well for you. I appreciate that, man. Thank you. It uh, it definitely it more credit should go to I think the good people that are out there because they they make it that much easier, you know. I do. Yeah, uh, you know, Twitter is. Twitter's I've often said Twitter is the worst place in the world, but uh, the feedback that you're receiving and, and the reception that you receive being mostly positive, I think, says something to to the effect that maybe there there actually are better people out there than than bad people. So, um, yeah. Again, Brian, I thank you for your time today as well, coming on and and, and helping us drive this conversation. And uh, I'll talk to you guys both later. Thank you guys. Thanks for uh, letting me come on here with you guys. Anytime, man. You guys take care. You too. That was Jacob Salcedo and Brian Ralph. Uh, Jacob is, like I said, with uh, with Bustin' Brackets. Um, just just a, one of the nicest, legitimately one of the nicest guys that I've ever had the, the opportunity to meet. Um, and it's funny that he actually alluded to it uh, in the shows. You know, Twitter is a place where you, you, know, you meet people, but you don't actually meet people. You know what I mean? I've never actually been in the same room as Jay. But, uh, you know, we've had a couple different conversations, um, you know, online. And he's just, he's an impressive guy. And again, like I said in the show, you know, what he did uh, takes a lot of guts. Um, you know, th- there, there are people in this world that 
they will judge you. I mean, there are people that probably would go from loving Jay and loving his work and, and enjoying him as a person that would turn their back on him just because of his sexuality, and I think that's absolutely ridiculous. Um, Brian was Brian's a guy that I just love to talk sports with. He's a he's a wealth of knowledge, um, and I thought, uh, you know, in a, in a perfectly honest moment, I'm, I'll tell you guys that I had a hard time putting um, an agenda together for this episode because... Well, because there's just not a whole lot going on in the sports world. And then, again, just, just like I've, I've said to you guys in the past, I sometimes am not the most articulate guy when I'm asking questions or having a conversation, you know, when we're attacking these social issues. So I thought it would be good to bring Brian on, who's, you know, a, a great host, great interviewer. Um, he's just, he's a good dude as well. He's one of, again, one of my other favorite guys that I've met uh, since I joined Twitter years ago and started ACC Basketball Report. So I absolutely appreciate both of them coming on. You know, Jay sharing his story and, and Brian helping us, you know, put together a great show. Um, don't forget to uh, like, rate, review, follow the show. Um, go on uh, Apple Podcasts, rate it favorably, leave a comment if you'd like. I do appreciate you guys, you know, getting on there and, and rating this favorably. Um, I've seen probably four or five more five-star reviews lately. Um, I, you know, I certainly appreciate that. It, it makes me think that we're, we're doing the right thing here. So... Um, as far as the transition to belly up sports, that is still happening. I just have to get some things together, get my information over to them so we can migrate the stream, migrate the site and, uh, and, and move some things around. It probably will not happen until after next week when I have, uh, Jay Anderson on, which <laughs> if you follow him on Twitter, <laughs> I, I, when I asked him to come on, I said, can you take a moment from preaching and, and come back to the show? Cause I got to know what winds your clock because that guy, Man, when he's on Twitter, he says some shit, and I have, I have no idea where it's coming from. And I don't know who's talking to him. I don't know if he's just talking to himself, but he's a wild guy. Um, he's in basketball scouting, videography. Uh, you know, he travels around. We're going to catch some events here when all this stuff, you know, gets, uh, gets back underway. Um, unfortunately, you know, this year I was going to go to some events with Jay, and, uh, you know, this corona thing happened. EYBL is canceled. Everything's canceled. All these AAU events. That kind of sucks. But uh, we'll have him on next week, and then we'll probably take another little break for a few weeks, and then uh, you know we'll start picking it back up. I'm I'm working on the breakout eight right now. Um, that's that's my favorite piece to do every year, and uh, I, I hope you guys hope you guys enjoy it as well. So uh, again, like, rate, review, share the podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode as much as I did recording it. Later.